This week's signal. Centre Group results show that physical retail may be the most efficient customer acquisition channel. YouTube goes all in on marking its own homework. And the cost of living in Australia continues to sting, especially in non-discretionary categories. Thanks for joining us. It's about 10 p.m. Uh, Sunday, 3rd of September. Uh, coming to you pretty late, but uh, hopefully not so late uh, for you. Uh, been a good week. Um, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there and uh, also um, for all the people whose fathers aren't around or, or haven't met their fathers or don't see their fathers. Um, I hope the day was okay for you as well. Uh, okay, signal number three. I'm feeling I'm getting slightly more confident at this as each week goes on. It's been a little bit daunting recording it all, but I am having a good time learning how to record and edit and also getting uh, less cringe at the sound of my own voice, which is a constant battle, but uh, I'm uh, getting a little bit more tolerant of it. So uh, <laughs> for anyone who's had to endure it, um, any co-workers or people that have sat near me, uh, I apologise. My voice self-awareness is um, is much better than it used to be. <laughs> um, three things this week that are somewhat linked, not entirely. Uh, the first area we're going to talk about is um, Centre Group. So Centre Group had a bunch of shopping centres. You've probably seen them around Westfield, one of the biggest companies, one of the biggest entrepreneurial stories in Australia, um, started by a, a man named Frank Lowy, who's a absolute icon in Australian business. They released their half-yearly numbers, um, and they're a really interesting read, but they're an interesting read if you really want to think about what sort of business centre group's in. So I've had a think around that, and I want to share that with you. Second thing we're going to go into is YouTube's co-viewing self-marking so if that doesn't make any sense that's okay doesn't really as I kind of reflect back on it but uh, when when someone watches or a group of people watch um, a video on a connected television they're often not watching it on their own they might be watching it with other people and the way that advertising works is you're sort of paying per exposure and so as YouTube's become bigger on connected televisions the model of sort of selling on a single exposure probably isn't serving them as much as they would like. Um, and so quite rightly, they're looking at how they can better quantify co-viewing. Now, the, the challenge that they're facing is that they're deciding to go with a, a self, a proprietary method of measuring co-viewing, which is really at odds with what the media industry wants, which is you know, quote-unquote independent verification. The reason I use the quote-unquote is that independent verification is often not as independent as it seems. For some of the larger platforms, these verification companies have supplied the verification data. So it's not exactly an independent um, arbiter looking at the performance, but it sometimes can create the illusion of that. I think the illusion is sort of what keeps some people quite comfortable so what Google's done is said, you know what, we will tell you what the co-viewing numbers are and uh, that will become the standard currency 
um, there's a lot to unpack here and, and we'll do that. And then lastly was really just around the, the cost of living in Australia. If you've living in Australia and you've had to open your wallet for any reason in the last year, you will know that things are getting more and more expensive. Um, and I've had a look at the most recent cost of living data from the ABS and had a look at what's been increasing and what hasn't been increasing. And what you start to see is a, is a really interesting trend. And there's some implications for marketers and anyone selling goods, be they discretionary or non-discretionary. There's a bit to unpack there and we're going to do that. Um, so strap in, I'm hoping, hoping, not promising, but hoping <laughs> that this will not be a 30 to 35 minute episode. But I make, again, no binding promise that that is the case. So this slips out to 30, 35 minutes. You're still here. I warned you, it could happen. Uh, if you're wanting something guaranteed under 30 minutes, maybe go listen to something else. But um, if you're interested in those three areas, um, I think there'll be something there of interest. So uh, let's get to it. Okay, signal number one. Uh, Signal number one is all about Centre Group. Touched on earlier, Centre Group operate a bunch of uh, really big shopping centres around Australia. They have one right near my house called Southland. It's it's a giant. It takes up, I reckon, I'm not great with land, but takes up a large amount of the suburb I live in, which is uh, Cheltenham. I'm a little bit south of Cheltenham, but let's not get into the details of locations here. Um, and the business is, is is really interesting. I mean, there's this sort of super um, interesting area with retail around the sort of push and pull of physical retail versus e-commerce versus omnichannel. Um, and, and, and where it's going to go. I, a few years ago, was was really into the concept. And I thought it was, I still think it's probably correct, but at the time I was really bullish on it, which was that um, if you looked at something like a, a Westfield or a Chadston or any large shopping centre, what they what they did and what they do really well is they, they bring a whole bunch of people together. They bring the people with their friends and, and, and all those different things. They give you like a shape of sort of the an element of the culture that is around that area. Um, they allow people to see other people, see things, um, clothing and, and technology and, and other stuff. It's kind of this, it's not a town square as such, but it kind of is. Um, but you can sort of go in thinking, okay, I'm going to go to Nike and then you can see a Mecca or you can see another store. And so it had this sort of nice area element of sort of there's, there's destination and then there's just that general sort of serendipitous part of shopping. I thought Instagram was sort of a really significant um, competitor to that because it sort of did a similar thing. It was somewhere people went to be entertained. There was a lot of different people. Um, you would find inspiration. You would see your favourite retailers. You might go in looking at a pair of shoes on someone's page and, and then before you know it, you, you're buying a pair of pants or something like that. So I started to think if I was running a business like Instagram and I was looking for growth, would I try and position my business to compete more against people that own shopping centers? 
and basically try and reframe what shopping centres are, which is effectively a place to be inspired, uh, a place to attract large volumes of people. And I would sort of be saying to, to maybe, you know, some of these tenants, hey, you're spending all this money on tenancy. Could you not spend some of that money and increase your presence on a platform like Instagram? Right. So that was generally the sort of premise. So looking at centers results, um, a few things that have really sort of stood out to me. So I'll, I'll go through them. So rent wise, they got about $1.33 billion of rent in the first six months of the year. Not, not bad. Their occupancy is sky high, 99%. They generated in that period or, or in the eight months that are measured, the six months is, is the rent collection of 1.3. They've generated 314 million customer visits, which is a, a huge number. Now it's up. It's up 9.8% annualised. But again, you're comparing it to a 22, just sort of just coming out of COVID. It's not great comparable. But in the period of that half year, um, the businesses that are in Westfield have generated 13.1 billion of sales, which is significant. So I looked at it and thought, okay, you're collecting 1.3 um, in gross rents. You generated partner sales of 1.3, uh, sorry, 13.1 billion. That means for the average, if you just spread it out straight line, for the average um, tenant, they're spending about 10% of their gross um, sales on rents. Now, that feels like a lot, and it is a lot, but um, it may not be as much as you think. So if you compare rents with rents, you say compare Westfield with, you know, a normal suburban strip, it's probably more. Um, however, it's in the business of attracting customers and the business of attracting sales, it's, it's pretty efficient. So the numbers I sort of crunch meant the sort of customer acquisition cost for Westfield um, in terms of it's, it's, it's the amount of rent people pay versus the amount of patronage it gets is about $4.20. The average customer seems to spend around $50 per visit, which is, is, is pretty high. So you've got this, okay, attract a customer at $4.20. They spend $50 across a whole bunch of retailers. But for these retailers, they have this sort of beautiful sort of shared asset. So it, it's not like uh, an individual tenant like Mecca is having to do all the marketing, all the lifting to get someone in the store. There's people coming in anyway. Some are coming to Mecca, but a lot who aren't coming from Mecca will come to Mecca. So this matters for me in a way that, that I think is quite interesting and quite a big opportunity for Centre is what business are Centre in? Right? Is it a real estate business that owns a bunch of you know really great land, uh, develops complexes, pays a certain amount of money, amortizes those costs, generates a certain amount of revenue, tries to make it profit profitable? Is it a tenancy-based retail business that's effectively trying to maximize the yield um, of its premises? Or is it a customer platform business, which its ultimate job is to attract users and then distribute those users out to its tenants for a cost? Now, it's probably all those things, but it means if you view it in a sort of broader way, it's a big competitor to businesses like Google and Meta 
And I think my my thinking around that Instagram and Center and a similar business is probably not that off. You've got again 420 to generate 50 in sales. It's a great marketing CAC. It's under 10%. So if you're a, a business, a, a retailer, physical retail may not be as expensive <laughs> as you've often thought. The general premise has always been that direct-to-consumer e-com is much cheaper. Um, but when you look at the numbers, maybe it's not. A physical retail store will incur other costs. So they're going to have labor, uh, distribution, to me, a bunch of, of costs that are incurred in having a physical presence. But online sales incur costs too. Websites are not cheap. They are really expensive. They would be, in my view, not too dissimilar to some fit-out costs, but, but you know, for multiple, multiple stores. Online sales incur labor, they incur postage, they incur distribution costs, warehousing costs, transportation costs, returns costs, a whole bunch of different things. But the, the big difference between physical and retail, or physical and, sorry, and e-com, is that online sales incur significant cat costs from Google and Facebook. So that's the, the one big difference. And often these CAC costs of, from Google and Facebook are way more than 10%. Some online retailers have search engine costs alone that equate to 10 to 15% of total gross revenue. So in the scheme of this, the rental costs at a Westfield seem like a bit of a bargain. So it's an interesting area for me as you start to sort of go, okay, what business is center in? What business is Google in, Meta in, all those different things? There's no business that, that I can think of that would categorize the costs of running a physical retail tenancy as a marketing expenditure. They would be caught in a sales cost or a, or a store cost or, or something like that. But almost every single business will include search engine marketing as a marketing expenditure. That's absolutely 90, 95%. But ultimately, they're both doing the same thing. They're the rents that you pay to access customers who are primed or otherwise. The challenge for pure play e-commerce businesses managing these costs so the benefits of being a pure play are not cancelled out by the rents you pay to the search landlord. And the challenge for a centre group is understanding this dynamic and beginning to position itself to compete more with the landlord of the internet, which is Google, to a lesser extent Facebook, that could actually bring some retailers back to physical locations or may even start to bring e-com pure plays into physical locations. Cost of living is biting at the moment. I think all of us are feeling it. Uh, Australia is a, well, I think it's an expensive place to live just generally, but it's definitely, definitely got more expensive. Um, and it's something that I hear constantly spoken about. Uh, cost of living, I think, as a marketer is really interesting to look at um, because there's a lot of depth underneath the top line figure. The top line figure for July for the Consumer Price Index, which basically looks at a sort of basket of different things, um, shows that overall prices were up 4.9% year on year. It feels high and kind of is high, right? Wages were only up around 3%. 
So uh, we're not getting paid the same <laughs> as prices are rising. So there's a, a difference there. Uh, but like I said, the top line number doesn't tell the real story. So food was up 5.6%, which, which is more than uh, overall prices. You had bread up 9.9%. You had dairy up 12.7%. You had packaged food up 8.3%. So that's year on year. Like Things are getting more and more expensive over the course of the 12 months. The thing with food that is interesting is is food's kind of a non-negotiable, right? You don't really have a choice. So you can make choices around what brands you buy. You've got to feed yourself. And these uh, sort of non-discretionary items are really where people are getting smashed. Rents were up 7.6% year on year for July. We know mortgage rates are, are way up. So anyone with a mortgage is really feeling that. You had electricity up 15.7%, had gas up 13.9%. So if you're getting a power bill each month and it's 300 bucks, it's an extra 45 every month. You annualize that, that's that's a lot. Um, You had insurance up 8.5%. So all these things that we kind of don't have an option not to buy, they're up and they're up way more than the top line figure. We're getting a bit of relief on some items. So fresh food, uh, fruit and veg was down 5.4% and meat and seafood was only up 2.4% for the year. And petrol compared to last year is down 7.6%. But prices um, are absolutely flying on these big ticket non-discretionary items. So you think rent, mortgage, bills, insurance, etc. Now, discretionary purchases or items are not up to the level of the overall CPI and they're they're often either flat or just marginally up, lower than wage growth. So if you have a bit of extra money and you're looking to make discretionary purchases, it's not a bad time to do it. The problem is the amount of discretionary income that the average person has is way down in terms of what it used to be and their ability to save money is also way down. So when you're in a position where you're sitting there and your rent's up 7.6, your power's up 15, your gas is up 14, your insurance is up 9, you kind of can't buy all the stuff you probably wanted to buy or the stuff that you were buying this time last year. So the more prices on non-discretionary items raise, the more pressure every household feels. Like I said, discretionary inflation is at moderate levels. So the advantages for the high earners with more spending power is great. But for the average household, they're getting hammered from all angles. Will those things go down? Well, history, at least in the last 12 months, suggests that they probably won't and they will continue to rise above wage growth. So every month, these consumers are getting squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. So consumers are facing really significant real choices right now around what they do and don't buy. That can manifest in just not buying things they used to buy. It can manifest in delaying purchases. It can manifest in trading down to house brand, changing retailers. But again, there's not the same amount of cash sort of floating around the economy to spend on things that people don't have an essential need for. So for a marketer, the task, unless you're in non-discretionaries and even then there's your own challenges around house brand versus branded etc etc 
your task and your job is getting significantly harder. You're either convincing someone to make a purchase decision that involves them not buying something else that they probably want as much, or you're convincing a consumer not to trade down away from your brand to a lower cost brand, or you might be a lower cost brand wanting to reassure a consumer that the trading down to your brand is worth it. But there's decisions that I think consumers didn't have to make this time last year and they didn't have to make the year before. So the the the, the job of, of getting people to open their wallets and spend money is significantly different. The role of an agency or an advisor, which is the job I do, in an economy like this is incredibly challenged, right? It's incredibly exciting. Um, but you really become one of two things. You either become highly valuable. Uh, if you can demonstrate meaningful contribution to growth, if you can think about opportunities quickly and act on them, you're in a really good spot. But if you don't do that, you can become really commoditized um, and subject to similar price cutting. So all these lower spending amounts, they all flow downstream to the professional economy. And if you're providing the same service you've been providing historically and you're not adapting to it, they generally might trade down. They might want to pay less. <laughs> they might want to go to a lower price alternative. Um, so the job of the marketer, super tough. If you can convince people, you can find value, you can find those hooks, that's really, really valuable. They want partners who can do the same thing. So if you're in an agency or you're an advisor right now, it's a really great time. A troubled economy provides huge levels of discomfort. Discomfort creates change. It's an excellent period. But you've got to demonstrate that meaningful contribution to growth. Looking at things like cost of living, understanding what they mean for your customers and your clients is a really good way to do that. that's it for this week uh thank you for listening uh hope you've enjoyed it i definitely have it was the first time i have done all three segments without having to do retakes so this is a world record for me in terms of timing so that has made it a very quick very pleasant experience um thank you especially to you for listening uh, i hope you enjoyed it um if you can, uh, five-star rating, love uh, those. Um, and if you've got any feedback, I'd love to hear it, ben at bensheppard.com. We'll be back next week, um, but in the meantime, have a great week and uh, see you soon.